Welcome to another episode of Trans Confessions. This is episode 10 for our very first inaugural season. I am your host, Jinx, and this is your co-host, Daphne. And today we got a couple of great subjects we're going to be discussing. So we wanted to start off our discussion talking about the issue in Russia and Ukraine. This is what's on everyone's mind. This is what everyone's talking about. Um, I'm no subject matter expert on it, but I've dealt with this kind of stuff in military service before. So we're definitely kind of to discuss what's happening, what the possibilities are going to be, um, and what we should look forward to here in the future. Um, the next thing we're going to roll into is kind of transgendered service in the military. Since we're going to be talking about military anyway, we wanted to kind of go into that as well. And what I'm actually going to be doing to help push transgendered issues in Washington, D.C. this year. After that, we're kind of going to discuss spring fashion and how not to break the bank, trying to change up and get ready for spring as the weather starts to warm up really, really soon. The last thing we're going to do is a special segment we're probably going to do maybe once a week called Things I Wish I Knew Before Transitioning, so mostly funny. <clears throat> and then we're going to work towards just open Q&A with our viewers and the people who are watching live right now. So if you have questions, please may I remind you whether you're on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok, we can see your chats, we can see your questions. We'll try to wait to answer those things until the open Q&A portion at the end of our show. So if you guys are all good with that, definitely stick around. This is a learning curve for Daphne. This is a learning curve for me. So uh, we apologize for any faux pas or goof ups or whatever the case might be. So let's go ahead and roll right into it. So it's no secret everyone's been watching the news and they're kind of watching what's going on in Ukraine along the Russian border right now. Um, this harkens back, honestly, to a period of time when I was growing up, you know, in the early 80s, where you kind of have this fall apart Russian bloc state Cold War status, almost reemerging again and affecting kind of, well, everybody. So if anyone was watching the news or keeping up with the Biden administration, um, several Biden administration officials, including several people from the Department of Defense, had made several claims um, back on Monday and again on Wednesday where they had made statements that, you know, this isn't over. We haven't seen the beginning of this yet. Um, although there are reports that are out there of Russia's forces drawing down, they've been actually debunked. They're not drawing down. They've actually gotten larger and they've moved across a much broader spectrum. Um, our intelligence reports have shown, you know, temporary or fast built bridges across the rivers that border the Ukraine and Russia. Um, which would allow a large portion of Russia's military to cross hastily into Ukrainian territory. Um, there are obviously pro-Russian forces that are flooding all through Ukraine, um, causing a lot of issues. So one of the things that the intelligence reported is that Russia was going to make up some kind of excuse. So this could be anything from you know, Ukrainian-led cyber attacks against Russia all the way to terrorist attacks against Russian structures, military buildings, government buildings, or civilian populace. Well, earlier today, apparently, Russia has reported that there's been an explosion in a Russian government building, and it's been significant. So here we go. This was actually called out by the Biden administration that, yeah, there's a terrorist attack, apparently. Um, although Russia has not put blame on anybody yet, I'm expecting, as someone who's seen this happen before, that Russia is, in fact, going to claim it was Ukrainian forces that snuck into Russian territory and detonated an explosive device in a government building. Big surprise. So what does this mean for the United States? 
Well, we've already sent a sizable amount of troops over to, well, in Europe. Um, Russia is obviously very concerned about our troop presence in Eastern Europe and Western Europe and has asked us to draw down our forces and NATO forces before they're willing to withdraw their forces from the Ukrainian border. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not a mili military strategist, and I'm certainly not in command of anything to make those kinds of calls. But let's take a look at what's going on. Russia was on the border of Ukraine first. And this isn't Russia's first time doing this kind of thing either. So if you really look at it, Russia did this in Crimea. Russia did this in Georgia and Azerbaijan. You know, Russia's been doing this all up and down its previous black state borders. And it harkens back to the day of the USSR where you had all of these different states that were part of the USSR and under Russian control. And it's as if they're just trying to go back to that previous state. So what does that mean? Well, if anyone remembers when the USSR existed and, you know, communism ran that particular part of the world, well, I mean, hell, for the better part of 52 years, you had over 12 million people die, either because they were executed for not following party standards party meaning the Socialist Communist Party, or starved to death because of the absolute economic collapse of living under the Russian Iron Curtain. I mean, so you can understand why a lot of people who are not pro-Russian in the Ukraine areas and Poland and Crimea, the whole Crimean region are not super excited about returning to that state. Who would be? So um, you got to take a look at that kind of stuff and wonder, hmm, what do we go what do we do now? So I don't know. As someone who served in the military post-Cold War, you know, these are things that we had all kind of hoped were over. These are all things that we wouldn't have to deal with again. And as I'd stated in previous episodes, the largest concern is not necessarily the Russian military invasion of the Ukraine, although that should definitely be a concern. It's the overreaching stretch of Russia's control over most of these countries also means that Russia can get back a lot of the weapons it lost when the bloc states all separated from Russia. So you got to think about, you know, Pakistan. People ask me all the time, why does Pakistan have nuclear weapons? Well, Pakistan had nuclear weapons because Russia had nuclear weapons. And when Pakistan, which was one of those bloc states, broke away, it had its own nuclear weapons and Russia lost a lot of that arsenal all up and down what we would consider the Eastern Bloc states today, this same story keeps repeating itself. There are lots of countries that got their hands on Russian-made nuclear armament because of that whole break apart. That's both a good and bad thing. It's kind of a double-edged sword. So sure, it reduces the amount of arms that Russia has access to or places that Russia has to hide such things. But it also means that some of these countries that me personally would wish did not have nuclear weapons do. That being said, if Russia goes and starts actually taking over all of these countries, all of these black states that they lost during the Cold War, you have all these places now where Russia has to stage tactical small nuclear arms, um, things that are much easier to deploy that are closer to, well, countries that maybe Russia doesn't like. So that could be any anything in Western Europe the United States. Who knows? We don't know where that will stop. So I've always been the kind of person to go looks at the death clock. And if you guys have never researched, Google the death clock. Um, that death clock has been live now for, oh, at least 22 years, if not longer. 
And the death clock is basically, if it reaches midnight, that's global Armageddon. Um, and it's always usually within five, five to eight minutes to midnight. Um, I would imagine if you looked at it today, it's probably two minutes to midnight. Um, if Russia gets anxious enough, and they could, there's no telling if they will or will not launch a nuclear device. They threatened and almost successfully done it several times before. So who's to say that that's not going to change now? What do you mean almost successfully done it before? Were they thwarted or? Um, yes. So there's been multiple times, according to intelligence reports, between 1981 and 2003, as recently as 2003, that Russia has launched but not detonated nuclear devices um, or threatened to. And then, then thank goodness, you know, political uh, dogma was able to step in there and and kind of stop it from happening in the first place. Um, I don't know all of the intelligence reports that are not for public consumption. There's literally mountains of paper of intelligence reports all through the Cold War that are still not allowed to be discussed because they've been classified that who knows how many times we as the United States or our clandestine forces stopped a nuclear attack. There's no telling. At least until that stuff is made public, but there's no, we'll never see that. I can promise you that. We'll never see that. You know, that will ever see the light of day. So what should we expect? I think that's probably a good segue into what should we expect. Um, when you're looking at stuff that's not happening here, it's very easy to kind of stuff it in the back of your mind. I'm like, well, that's not our problem. That's Ukraine's problem, or that's Poland's problem, or that's Georgia's problem you know, or Azerbaijan's problem or wherever Russia decides to go next. So we have to look at it this way. When does it become our problem? Well, it kind of already is our problem. I'm not a big fan of policing the world. As a matter of fact, I hate that the military often gets used to do that, to go police the world and make other people behave the way we want them to behave. But when you're looking at a country as small as the Ukraine being overrun by a massive force like Russia, that's kind of like, you know, watching the underdog get rear-ended repeatedly. Um, and that's kind of been what's going on in Eastern Europe for a very long time. A lot of these Eastern European countries, which were Russian bloc states, you know, not 25, 30 years ago, that have finally found their own freedom are finding themselves right back in the same situation they were 50 years ago under Russian rule and control. Um, in a situation that we know for a fact was not good for them. They state so themselves. The citizens did not like it. There are generations who are still alive that lived through that. They're like, no, never again. I don't want to return to communism. And that's understandable. So we have to look at it like, well, what do we do now? And I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if the response that the Biden administration is currently doing is enough or is necessary at all. Right now, we are not in the Ukraine. We are in countries surrounding the Ukraine. We're in bases with allies that want us to be there. And it seems to be just pissing the Russians off more. So I don't know what to do in that case. I wouldn't even know what to suggest. So out of curiosity, why doesn't someone go and destroy those two great bridges that have been built? I don't know if they haven't already. I don't think we can. Oh, I mean, and to, if we walk in there, that's basically instigating war. So that means the United States now becomes the aggressor. So you have to look at it from an image perspective. Should we be the aggressor? In my opinion, absolutely. 
I don't see any reason why we couldn't walk up there and bitch slap the Russian force and be like, fuck off and go back where you came from. But when you look at it at a globalist scale, which I'm not a huge fan of, you also have to take a look at it, like that's bad imagery. And it could actually make, you know, combat or fighting forces even more agitated by going in and blowing up someone else's property. You have to remember that the river that those bridges are built on is technically an international border. So Russia does have the right to put stuff there if they so choose. Mm. Can the Ukraine just go and stick a bunch of landmines in front of them? Like, um, no. <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, I mean, sure, they could. They absolutely could. Um, that's a terrible idea. I just said. So there have been many, many war trials against countries who fucking put landmines everywhere and then forget to remove them when the war is over. Um, so I mean, you look anywhere in Vietnam or Laos or Cambodia, uh, Southern China, where, I mean, they're still digging up landmines from the Vietnam conflict because they're killing children. So yeah, I don't think based on several war conventions um, or the Hague convention that technically you should be putting landmines all over the side of a river. But That's I mean- That's not what I meant. In front of those bridges, just in front of the temporary bridges. Well, sure. Know. You put some landmines, Russia moves the bridge. Sick little flags out there. Well, I mean, that defeats the purpose of the landmines. So. Bury them with those little things that you pull in your keys to remember where they are. Oh, they have a little beeper thingy. Yeah. You can <laughs> find them with your phone. Stop giving people terrible ideas. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Um, but no, I don't think that they can. I mean, they probably could. I mean, there's lots of countries that violate the Geneva and Hague Conventions and all the current war stuff. And there's lots of countries that don't abide by the United Nations. So sure, I think Ukraine could absolutely do something like that. But to what end? I don't know, some kind of defense mechanism for themselves? The only thing they're going to get out of putting landmines at the end of one of those bridges is an early detection system. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, Russia's not stupid. At least I would hope that Russia's not stupid to send foot troops across the bridge first. They're going to send tanks across that bridge. And sure, a landmine might disable the tank, but that's all it's going to do. Anything bigger than that, it's not really a landmine anymore. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting, interesting situation going on over there. And although I don't have any of the breaking information, there's literally a lot of things, a lot of pieces that are currently in play that I think the average American citizen or the average viewer may not be paying attention to right now. You know, you're looking at, this is a longstanding issue. This is not new. And that's why I think there's a lot of this hype going on in the news. There's a lot of people who are super concerned and they want to talk about it because to them it's new. And I mainly talk about our younger viewers, our younger listeners, you know, that maybe weren't alive in the 80s and 90s. Um, or even the late 70s during the height of the Cold War, or when the Berlin Wall fell, and then all these block states started gaining their independence, some of these people who were listening may have not been alive to see that, or were so young that they just didn't know. So this isn't new. Russia has tried to get back many of its block states, going all the way back to the 80s. You can't imagine how pissed off the USSR was when it lost Germany. That was a stronghold. That was a massive border for them. And to have the Berlin Wall fall and have the USSR literally just crumble and all these block states now just have all this freedom. Yeah, I mean, that hurt 
that hurt Russia pretty bad. And we thought for a long time, especially in the 90s, where you had the whole Rock the Vote stuff come out. MTV was out there in Russian territory broadcasting live, like, oh, yeah, you know, Russia's got democracy, Russia votes. It's like, okay. And we all kind of thought at some point, especially around 89, 92, 95, you know, Russia was really becoming and embracing that freedom. They were embracing, you know, maybe a Western culture or democratic culture. And I think they did for a a little while. I think they did. And that was very short-lived. Short-lived meaning they barely lasted a decade before, you know, the cronyism and this kind of good old boy system stepped right back in. And then you had a single party system that kind of chimed in there. And of course, that single party system, they may not call it the Communist Party anymore, but that's exactly what the fuck it is. It's just communism 2.0. And it's just as shitty as communism 1.0 and every variation of communism before and after. So they're just calling it something different. You know, I look at it this way from my own professional and personal opinion. I can call a pile of shit roses, but it's still a pile of shit. It doesn't matter what I call it. So I don't know where where the country's going to go from here. Um, I really, really do hope and pray for the best for the Ukrainian people who are not Russian supporters or Russian sympathizers. Um, I don't want to see hostilities break out. I really don't want to see Russia jump across that river and invade Ukraine. But at this point, I think that's coming. I think that's coming by the end of this weekend. I think diplomacy at this point has, in fact, failed. Yeah. There's nothing more that we are going to do. There's nothing the United Nations... The United Nations is spineless. They're absolutely spineless. They'll sanction Russia, and then Russia will be like, go fuck yourself. And they'll sanction Russia again. And then Russia will go fuck yourself. Then pick one UN country that's been the most vocal and then bomb the shit out of them. Just for good measure. So we can't depend on the United Nations or its diplomacy to do anything. It is up to us and other countries that have allied with us to go in and say, hey, knock the shit off. Well, I think we tried that. England tried that. France tried that. We've tried that. Um, And yeah, it ain't working. They don't care. I'm going to hydrate. Do you have anything you want to add? Nope, not really. I'm not very savvy when it comes to these things. I mean, I've been following the crisis. Oh, sure. Um, but as far as like informed opinions, I don't really have any. I mean, I understand that. It's, it's tough because there's so much information that's out there. Um, it's, it's tough to model through all of it. The news sources, there's literally thousands of news agencies that are trying to report on this. Um, The Associated Press has actually begun pulling a lot of their reporters and their investigators out of the Ukraine. This should tell you something. The Associated Press was famous for sitting in a combat war zone in Iraq in both the first Gulf War and the Associated Wars that came after. They had people embedded in foxholes with Marines and Army service members reporting on what was going on. They didn't pull out. They didn't leave. They were there. They were there in bulletproof vests, just like everybody else, reporting the news. So when you got people who are being pulled out of the Ukraine, out of the entire Crimean region, who work for the Associated Press, that should tell you something. That I don't think this is going to be a standard land-based war. It's not going to stop with a ground invasion of Russian forces in the Ukraine. You're going to have a full air invasion, and you may exactly have a full-on missile attack. There's no telling. You know, you had the the French Prime Minister, Macron, who 
who's out there trying to urge people like calm. We need we need calm. We need to discuss these things. Um, let's let's utilize our diplomacy and not to you know badmouth or besmirch President Macron. Um, that that ship is fucking sailed. That ship is gone. There's this the policies and diplomacy and everything up. It's gone. It's out the window at this point. So he can call for calm all he wants to. And I'm sorry, it ain't going to fucking happen. It's not going to happen. Russia pisses on your calm. That's basically what it's boiled down to. And then, yes, now you've got other issues, too. So if Russia decides to go involved, Russia has allies. Russia has allies with China, which is allies with North Korea. So you've got a perfect trifecta of bullshit that's stirring up in the entire eastern part of this planet. So my, my longstanding question is, where the fuck do we go from here? Bunkers. Bunkers. Just start digging. Um, <laughs> no. Everyone needs to dig their own bunker in their backyard. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I got, I got a solution. Holy shit. Grab your rifles, everybody. We're going to go fuck some shit up. That's what we're going to do. So, um, no, as far as what needs to be done or what we should be doing, obviously we got to start focusing on long-term solutions, not only for the United States, but everything moving well into Eastern Europe. So trade deals, strengthening our allies, strengthening our relationships with our current allies. These are all things that definitely need to be looked at. These are all things that definitely we all need to focus on. And we're stop laughing in my helmet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this is a very difficult subject for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Um, most of all, me. I've been places where I've seen what could be better attuned to dictatorial behavior that has caused you know massive amounts of trauma and suffering and death, this is not necessarily that. You know, sure, a lot of people like think poke fun at Putin um, for being a dictator. And I don't think that that's what he is. I don't think that Putin is a dictator. I think Putin, just like our own presidents, are just figureheads. These are people who are either outspoken, have certain characteristics that are easy for people to latch onto, whether it's this person's easy to love or this person's easy to hate. Putin's one of those people, it's like, you're very easy to hate. He's a filthy, disgusting human being, and he's a jackass, too. He's an absolute jackass. But it's that kind of strong-willed jackassery that's very attractive to people in Russia and even people in Eastern Europe. It's that charismatic bullshit, not all that dissimilar to Hitler or Mussolini, um, that people seem to either really, really become attracted to or whatever. But again, they are not in charge. Putin is not in charge of shit. He's not. He's a figurehead. He's a puppet being controlled by somebody else. So who's the puppet master? Well, the same puppet masters that have ever controlled any socialist or communist government in the past and probably well into the future. It's an oligarchy. There are elitists that exist in that country. What you guys say, Soros? George Soros? <laughs> and fuck that guy. <laughs> Stupid asshole. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Soros was funding half that shit. <laughs> that dude's got more money than the planet. And it's like, wow. Um, 
No, there are elitists in this world who start political parties and be like, oh, you must answer to the party. The party knows best because, you know, we know better than all of you. And that is not, that is not what this is. So I think it's the beginnings of that. I think they're trying to return to that. They picked somebody like Vladimir Putin to kind of figurehead that stuff. And that's what we're dealing with. That's kind of where we are. And until we identify and everyone understands that that is in fact what's going on. This is an oligarchy takeover. This is elitists, elitists with money and power. They want to make sure that they have a constant flow of plebes to continue to keep their money and power. Um, and they needed a good figurehead like Putin to do it. Well, when you start running out of your own plebes, either because they don't want to obey, you murdered them all, or they starve to death, well, then you start invading other countries because you need their plebes too. And that's what you're seeing going on right now. This is a push for power. This is a push because they need plebes. They need voters. They need these people to do their bidding. And if you start running out of your own because you can't keep them alive, you know, from food shortages, starvation, or, or because you go in their house and kill them at night, well, you got to find new ones. So that's exactly what we're seeing starting to play out here. And I don't know where we go from there, but I do know that as long as we're informing ourselves and we're finding information, we're doing our own investigating, looking at all the news sources, not just one, and trying to make the best decisions for ourselves, I think collectively as a country, and then eventually as a race of people, the human race, we can stop shit like this from happening ever again. That's my own personal opinion. So <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. What do you think? Nothing? No. I gave you my my idea. You didn't, <laughs> you like, you didn't like my ideas. <laughs> you can't just go around putting landmines on everything. The bunker idea was a less violent idea. Well, the bunker idea is definitely a less violent idea, but I mean, who wants to spend, I swear it's not like the Cold War all over again, all these people building these bunkers on their property, because that's what we did before, if you remember. I, no, I don't. Oh, that's right. You were born in the late 80s. Yep. Mm. So anyone like me, definitely Gen Xers and the previous generation would know all about the bunkers. There were bunkers built everywhere. Everybody, everybody, especially it started really after the Korean War ended. You know, where you really had this nasty Cold War mentality that we're all going to be bombed out of existence at any moment, which was a real threat. I mean, I'm not going to downplay that threat at all. That was a very real threat. Um, and yes, people spent their entire life savings, their retirement, building these massive bunkers under their homes or somewhere on their property likened to a tornado shelter, but reinforced with steel um, and lead lines to protect them from radiation and fallout with enough food and, you know, living conditions to last two or three years, which on average is how long it would take for small tactical arms like a nuclear weapon and the radiation to dissipate to human safe levels. I really don't want to see the world return to that. I don't. Um, it'd be just stupid. I think, not, not, honestly, not effective. Modern nuclear weapons are ground penetrating, so. But that's that's just me. Well, um, in that case, all we can really do is, you know, focus on ourselves and 
making sure we enjoy our own lives. That's literally all we can really do. No, you're absolutely right. That is kind of all we can do. Um, it's sad. It's absolutely sad that that is all that we can do. Um, you're kind of like drifting off screen over there. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing this. My, my co-host is slowly drifting that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bummer. But I think you're right. I think that, like I said, living your own life, like you said, living your life, living the way like your life the way you want to, finding happiness and all the small things that you have throughout the day. That's definitely probably step number one. And step number two is being informed. Um, if you're one of those people that watches MSNBC only or watches CBS only or watches Fox News only or Newsmax or OAN or, oh God, there's so damn many of them now. Don't do that. Watch them all. Who has time to watch them all? There's actually apps now that you can download that will go side by side comparisons of all the different news reports on the same um, subject. What app is that? Um, the Newsy is one of them. They'll actually let you look at all. Newsy of them. sucks balls. I already tried that one. You tried that one? What else you got? Um, I don't know. <laughs> search them online. I already tried Newsy. They had freaking BuzzFeed on Newsy. Oh, gross. I'm like <laughs> completely That's obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> That's not news. Um, but there are, there's lots of apps that are out there. Um, if you guys want to go in the chat box and then type your suggestions, if you know apps that they will do the side by side, I know there's at least two that are pretty famous and I can't think of them to save my life. Um, but yeah. There are applications out there that you can watch side by side or read side by side comparisons. So this is what CNN says. This is what MSNBC says. This is what CBS News says. This is what Fox News says. Um, you know, this is what the BBC says. Uh, so there's definitely ones that are out there. And it's good to go with a side by side comparison to see who's saying what and what details might be missing from each report. Um, and I've, I've noticed even doing it on my own. There are often details that are missing between one news report and the other that are very critical, very critical news pieces that, you know, we should be discussing, that we should be looking. They're called news aggregators. Yeah, news aggregators. Um, let's see. One of our viewers says that Canada has CTV and CBC. Yep. So um, there's a lot of global news that are out there that same thing. News aggregators and side-by-side -side comparisons are probably the best things that yeah. you could look at. And I know that there are apps that do this on your phone. There are websites you can go to that do the exact same thing. I encourage all of our listeners to definitely do that. Definitely do that. You should be going out there and looking for these things and learning and basically informing yourself. An informed populace is a powerful and strong populace. And an informed populace is a lot less likely to fall prey to tyranny than an uninformed one. Uninformed That's populaces true. are really the basis for how tyranny exists and continues to exist. The control of information, the control of the information flow, who has access and who doesn't. This creates an uninformed populace. And that uninformed populace is very, very easy to control. This is why you're seeing this infiltration in Ukraine. Ukraine tried that stuff. A lot of leftover block state mentality where information was being controlled by the central government. This is what allowed the infiltration of pro-Russian forces to exist 
These are dissidents, Russian dissidents that have basically gone in and convinced a large uninformed population in Ukraine that it is in their best interest to fall back into a Russian bloc state. That only comes from being uninformed. So be informed. We've got to be informed. And if we're not, well, the same thing could happen here. The same thing could happen in Canada. The same thing happens in the South American countries all the damn time. It's actually pretty common down there. Oh, they just had a case of wild polio. Where? In Africa. I don't remember. I have forgotten where in Africa. We'll have to make that a, a talking point for a future show. And that's a good idea. You know, the harkens back to the importance of fucking vaccines. <laughs> but, you know, something that we thought we got rid of. Well, apparently it's still in a couple of countries. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me, especially African countries, which have unfortunately due to meddling from, well, first world countries, not gotten the vaccines necessary to obliterate stuff like that. I think you have some people on TikTok who really want to ask some questions at the end of the section instead of at the end in. Well, we can definitely do that um, because I know TikTok is not part of my overall platform that we're broadcasting from. So I can't go back and read your questions. So sure, I think we could take a few minutes because this is the end of this segment for anyone that's had questions on TikTok and questions um, on all the other platforms as well. So let's see here. Yes, um, we have moderators that are watching on both. If they can answer the questions, they absolutely will. Um, so I got a few viewers that are asking, uh, let's see, this is Lindsay. Lindsay's asking if I'm going to be sent over anywhere because technically I'm still in the military. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, usually when it comes to stuff like that, like short notice stuff, I'll know about 48 hours to 72 hours in advance. Um, if it's long-term notice where it's just contingency or I'm going in for support, I probably get 30 maybe 60 days notice. It just depends. It honestly depends. But I thought once you hit retirement status. Yes. So, I mean, well, they did that too. So you had a lot of people remember when 9-11 happened, which was a very serious thing. They were calling people back in that were getting ready to go out. They were calling people back in. They were putting the inactive ready reserve. So that is a possibility. Until the day I signed my last piece of paperwork, and they issued my final duty form 214. Yeah, they kind of still got me. Uh, and that's August. So they got me till August. Great. Yeah, I know. I know. It's one of those things. Um, so no, Lindsay, I did not say that they're terrorists. That's what Russia is claiming. That it was a possible terrorist attack on a Russian government building by. They have not made the claim it was Ukraine forces. They have not said any of that yet. But who knows what kind of excuse Russia is going to make. But what I did hearken to is that the Biden administration had already stated days ago that this was the kind of shit that Russia was going to try. It could be this. It could be that. And one of the things that they listed was Russia is going to make a claim that there was a terrorist attack on their military, their buildings, their government, or their populace. Well, here we are Friday. Boom. Russia is making a claim that there's been a bombing on one of their government buildings. And they have not yet publicly come out and said, 
this is a terrorist attack and it was Ukraine. And then they're going to send their troops rushing across that border. So be watching. Let's see where it goes from there. Well, oh, sorry. That was a government building in Russia, right? Yes, that was a government building in Russia. Because I also saw where there was a kindergarten in the Ukraine that had that was attacked as attacked, well. Attacked, yeah. Um, yes, and Ukraine has publicly come out and said that was Russia. But I don't think Ukraine's got the nutsack to go in there and just start attacking Russia. So, um, But they are looking to garner support from the general population of the world, saying Russia is being abusive. So we got a couple of other questions. We're going to look at the chat overlay. Um, I'm actually going to bring the chat overlay live on our screen so you guys can see all new questions. Of course, that's going to shrink us down. I do apologize for that. Um, let's see here. Oh, got to scroll all the way down. Let's see. All right. So no new <laughs> questions. It's a lot of just chatter, <laughs> which is fun. Of comments. Yeah, I know. Oh my god! The line about Nisi does that's hilarious. <laughs> that's funny as hell. Um, so we're gonna roll into our next topic. Um, the second topic, which is gonna show up on the screen, is trans military service. So let's kind of go into that one now. Um, let's see here. All right. So I had the opportunity to sit down and discuss with several folks and members of Sparta. Sparta is an organization for the advancement of transgender people in the United States military. I think it's a fantastic organization. My viewers have seen me talk about Sparta before. Um, they allowed me to come in and I said, hey, I'm willing to help out. I'm willing to do whatever I can. So we're getting ready to build an annual trip to Washington, D.C to bring our case, our transgender cases and stories to our senators and Congress people while they're in their office. So we did some training, had good conversations yesterday, um, got more training to come up, but it sounds like we're gonna be taking our trip sometime in the middle of this year, but before election season. So obviously way before November, hopefully. Um, we're gonna take our, our case. We're taking our case to Washington, DC. So we became very dangerously close during the Trump administration to having the transgender bans and restrictions put back in place. Thankfully, that did not happen. So under the Obama administration, late in the Obama administration, a lot of those bans were lifted and people like myself were allowed to finally at least admit who they were. They could be their real selves, although transitioning under the Obama administration still was not allowed. Um, you can at least make the claim, yes, I am transgendered, and yes, I do intend on transitioning and living as my real self in real life very, very soon. Um, I believe that transitioning as far as surgeries and more permanent things was still not allowed, but hormone replacement therapy was. Um, and that was a huge step. That was a massive step for people who were transgendered in the military. Um, and of course, during the Trump administration, not all that different than the Obama administration, a lot of hate came. But here's what's funny, not from within the military. Not from within the military, the hate came from without. So you had a lot of people on both sides of the platforms, both Democrat and Republican, that were not super thrilled about transgender people serving in the United States military. And the excuses that were given were varied, um, most of which were actually kind of stupid. Um, but it has not changed even to this day. 
although we managed to avoid the rebanning of transgender military people in service, um, we still get a lot of nonsense from outside of our military ranks. I can personally say that at no time during my military service, outside of maybe one or two people, have I ever felt threatened? Have I ever felt diminished? Have I ever felt like my own service people were attacking me for who I am? My unit was amazing and very supportive. And the two people that I'm talking about were in my unit, but it wasn't because they were angry at me. They didn't hate me. They didn't despise me. They just didn't understand. They didn't understand because they were not used to seeing things like that. And yes, I made them uncomfortable, but I acknowledged that. They acknowledged that and we moved on. That's just how the military world works. At no time I was ever harassed by anybody. I was never made fun of. I was never given any less of an opportunity to serve my country because my company, my unit loved who I was, regardless of what that looked like on the inside or the outside. I was a good soldier. So that's the argument that a lot of us at Sparta are gonna be taking up to Washington, DC. The military is highly adaptable. Its service members are highly adaptable. We are capable of serving with people who are not necessarily falling into society's norms when it comes to identity, gender, sexuality, or whatever the case might be. We are all capable of doing our jobs, even if we're transgendered. I have a stellar service. I have stellar service. I've done some pretty awesome and amazing things. And although I may have been presenting masculine at the time I did those things, it doesn't mean that I was any less of a woman. It doesn't mean I was any less transgendered. I was that way the whole damn time. So I consider my accomplishments and all the things that I did, combat or non-combat related, as a transgendered woman. And I think a lot of my transgender brothers, sisters, and non-binary siblings feel the exact same way. We are capable of performing stellar duty happily as transgendered open in the military. And we can do so without offending people. We can do so without causing issues. And that it is okay for us to continue and progress through our transition while still actively serving. It isn't necessary to boot us out and say, come back when you're done. Because that's a lot of the stuff and pushback that we've been getting is, okay, fine, you're transgendered. Good for you. Get the hell out of the military. Come back when you're done, and we'll bring you back in with the proper gender marker. And here's the thing. That's not coming from within the military's ranks. That's not coming from divisions or battalions or brigades or even at company level. That's usually coming from staff, so civilians who are up in Washington, D.C. that wouldn't know their own asshole from a hole in the ground. And they're scared. They're scared because their constituents are angry that there are transgendered people in the military. Well, I'll tell you what, constituents, those people who are out there voting and calling their senators and being assholes about it, why are there trannies in the freaking military? Well, this tranny can put bullets down range just as good as anybody else. And the last time I went out and qualified, I'm pretty sure I could still shoot a fly off a horse's ass at 415 meters while it's moving. So, yeah, 
the questioning of whether or not transgender people are functioning and useful in the United States military is probably the silliest question I've ever had to actually field in a professional setting. But I am absolutely excited and prepared to do so this year when we travel to Washington, D.C. and we go from office to office. My focus, obviously, is going to be talking to all the Texas senators and Congress people. So, well, because I live in Texas, I've served in Texas. And if I have time, I'll probably hit the Georgia state um, senators and Congress people as well. It all depends on how much time I have and who is all gonna come with us. So um, someone asked who that is next to me. This is my co-host Daphne. <laughs> Although the TikTokers can't see her. If you were watching on our other platforms, you definitely could because the screen flips this way and it's more widescreen than tall. So my apologies to those people who are on TikTok. But I think this is a fantastic opportunity. I really do. Um, this would be my first time going to Washington, D.C., at least in a capacity where I'm going to go as a person to discuss my service as a transgendered soldier. And I'm going to be alongside probably 15, 20 other transgendered people from the various branches of service that are going to be doing the exact same thing. And our objective is to get the law changed. And the only way we're going to get the law changed where we don't have to continue to keep fighting for our right to exist and serve in the military is to change the NDAA. And that's the National Defense Authorization Act. Once it's written in the NDAA, that's law. It cannot be changed by a detachment. It cannot be changed by a division. It cannot be changed by the Department of the Army or the Air Force or anybody else. It is a congressional act that gets approved every single year. I've never not seen the NDAA get approved. But even with a Democratic president, it gets approved. So if we can change the law and put transgendered service and care, medical care, into the NDAA, then maybe we can finally rest. So that's what we're going to be going for this year. We're going to Washington, D.C. to get that changed. And I would urge all of my listeners, regardless of what state you live in, obviously inside the United States, to contact your Congress people, contact your senators and say, hey, I would like you to vote to add transgendered service and care to the NDAA this year. You'd be doing all transgendered service members a great service by assisting us in doing that. I'm gonna take a hydration break. Do you have any input you'd like to get? Just I think you're going to do really well. You're really poised. You're very well informed. And you've always done a really good job of explaining your perspective and opinion to other people. So I think you going is going to be a huge win. I hope so. I really do. I hope my voice sounds better. <laughs> I'm not so scratchy. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Any words of wisdom you give me before I go? <laughs> no, not no. really. <laughs> so you get to wear the helmet then. Here you go. Prepare for Russia. <laughs> it's probably so heavy. Oh, no, it's not as heavy. As it's not that, that heavy. It's still pretty heavy, though. <laughs> There's some landmines in the garage. I need you to go landmine them. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, um, but yeah, I think this is going to be an amazing opportunity. And I'm hoping 
that this is the year that we make the headway. I hope this is the year that maybe we get this change. It's not like it's the first year Sparta. Uh, oh, there's the dog. The dog's all excited. Hooray, hooray. Um, this is not the first year Sparta or organizations like it um, have tried to go to Washington, D.C. and have tried to get that stuff changed. They've been doing this now for almost 10 years, and it's hard. It's hard. And then when the answer is no, that's even harder. So, yeah, 10 years of no. Three administrations. And yeah, the answer has been pretty historically no. So I'm hoping that this is the year we can finally change that. That maybe we can get up there and be like, you know what? Someone's going to listen to us. Someone has to listen to us. We need people to listen to us. Um, so yes, if you guys are watching, whether you're watching this live or you come in after the fact and you see this video on my website or on YouTube or wherever you go, please contact your state's U.S. Senators and Congress people and urge them to please listen to Sparta and vote to add transgendered service and care into the National Defense Authorization Act. Quick question. Yes. Because I hear that often. Like, oh, go contact your senators. Contact your senators. Okay. How? Where uh, do I find this information? No, that's like, a good question. That's a really good. So you can actually go to congress.gov. You can go to senate.gov. You can look up all of your senators on those sites or your congress people on those sites based on your state and your district. So senators, obviously, you only have two. There's two senators per state, and that's it. So, and it doesn't matter what district you live in, you're authorized to call them both. You don't have to call just the one for the district that you're in. You're authorized to call them both. Now, in a lot of states, oftentimes, one of your senators is a Democrat, one of your senators is a Republican. But that is not always the case. Sometimes they're both Democrats. Sometimes they're both Republicans. Um, hell, and then unless you're West Virginia, and one of them for a long time was an independent. So, it varies. Um, now, as far as Congress people, generally, you're going to want to call the Congress person who is over your district. That's why Congress.gov has the ability to look up what district you live in by your address. And that is your Congress person. That's who you'd call. You don't have to call every single Congress person in your state because, one, if you're not in their district and you don't get the vote for them, they ain't going to listen to you anyway. I mean, like, call your own damn Congress person. Um, so to save you that headache... Yeah, that's where you would go. I think you can also get that same information from a general Google, who is my congressperson. Um, there's websites that actually that are built that are not government run um, that will tell you who your congressperson is and who your senators are based on your district. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who live, they don't even know what district, what voting district they live in. Um, so you have congressional districts, you have Senate districts, um, local districts, state districts. So these are all you know, who you get to vote for um, whenever there's an election, general or otherwise. So it's good information for everyone to know anyway. Everyone should know what district you live in. Um, I know for Texas, we are congressional district where we live, 25. Um, and I think Senate district, oh, hell, I can't remember. <laughs> That's terrible. So, um, no idea. And then you have state level districting too. So remember your state has senators and your state has Congress people or its own capital. And it's probably good to know where that is too and who those people are that are supposed to be representing you. 
Um, but because this is a federal, this is definitely a federal issue, you're going to want to call your U.S. Congress people and your U.S. Senator and let them know, like, hey, I do support transgendered rights to serve in the military, and I do think that they should have a right to medical care while they're serving in the military. Um, and yeah, that's why we're fighting for that. We're fighting to have that added into the National Defense Authorization Act so that we don't have to keep doing this year after year, fighting for our right to exist. Because once it's written in that act, it's law. It's law, we get to exist peacefully without being harassed for our service. So I'll leave it open for a little bit for a couple of questions from our viewers. I'll go back over here under the current discussion so that you guys can see what we're currently discussing. I'll turn the chat overlay back on so any new questions will appear in our chat overlay. And then for the folks on TikTok, if you have questions, please go ahead and ask. We are watching. Um, we'll do this for about a minute or two, and then we're going to roll into our next segment. Let's see here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Aw. So not a whole lot going on in the world of Twitch, YouTube, or Facebook. Although I think my mom said she is watching on Facebook. Um, and then not a whole lot of questions coming in from the TikTok side. Perfect. That allows us to go right into our next segment. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, uh, let's see here. All right. So yes, moving into spring fashion. So depending on where you are in the country or where you are in the world, spring is coming. Well, here in Texas, we've got, you know, um, ridiculous weather where it's like 75 degrees one day and 40 degrees the next. It's not uncommon in the southern part of the United States. But even those folks who are living further north, we can already tell the sun's coming out, the days are getting a little bit longer, and that means everybody wants to start or preparing for their spring wardrobe. So let's kind of talk about that. I know lots of people that when the sun comes out and the snow all melts and you got these beautiful kind of cool mornings and warm afternoons, it's time to go to the store and buy all new clothes. I'm here to tell you that that is not necessary. There's lots of things from your winter wardrobe that you can definitely repurpose. And if you are good at saving your clothes and keeping them nice, lots of things from your previous summer and spring collection that you can definitely repurpose. Spring is the kind of season where it's all about rebirth and rebuilding the year and planting seeds. It means all new clothes. No. Yes, it does. I think buying <laughs> new clothes is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I will go and dump an entire bank account on some new fucking clothes. But you don't have to go and do that. You also can remember you have options to go out there. You don't have to go to all these fancy stores. Try thrift shops. Meh. I don't know. No, I've, I had seen, I've seen and had some really cool shoes, mm -hmm. shoes that actually fit me, um, which is hard. Um, jackets, pantsuits, business attire that I've been able to find at thrift stores um, that doesn't break the bank. And it looks great. So um, don't go to Macy's if you can avoid it. Macy's is expensive. Uh, <laughs> Kohl's. Kohl's has great collections and Kohl's carries Vera Wang. So lots of great spring clothes are starting to come out there right now. I would definitely recommend checking out Kohl's for some of your stuff and look for warmer colors. You want muted warm colors. That's a perfect thing for spring. So good case in point is actually what Daphne is wearing right now. This is a muted pink. It's not overly bright, 
It actually <laughs> looks really, really nice. This is a perfect spring outfit. Short sleeves, but thicker material because we still get cold mornings. It does get cooler in the evenings. She can throw a light jacket on really, really quickly and she'll be just fine. So when you're looking at spring fashion, there's lots of things you can do. That's stuff. Keep that jacket because you know you're going to need it. You know you're going to need it. Um, so keep it at the ready. But yeah, go ahead and get rid of the lawn sleeves. Um, go into a shorter sleeve. Keep the thicker materials, but start looking at brighter but muted colors. Perfect for spring. So oranges, pinks, greens, um, blues. Actually, when you say muted, does that mean pastel? Yeah, so pastel is a muted style color. Um, basically, you don't want anything neon or overly bright. That's more of your oh, summer wear. Who makes these rules? That's what I want to know. I don't think anybody makes these rules. I think it's what's appealing to the eye based on how sharp the sun is. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So you can look at the art of color, you know, whether it's cars or houses or clothes. Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching, you know, this is back in my big, I was a huge fan of cars, um, the Bugatti car company. When you buy one of those cars, you know, talking about uber fancy, they will fly you all the way out to their manufacturing facility. Um, there's actually several car companies that do this now. Um, they will fly you out there and they will literally design this car in front of you. They have you sit in the seat. They measure your arms. They measure your feet. Everything is built custom to fit you, the driver. But when it comes to picking the color of your car, they will go out there and they will paint that car. Or they'll paint a mock-up. And they're like, okay, where do you live? And you tell them where you live. And they will actually look at how strong the sun is in that very city on that very block of where you live. And they'll say, okay, what time of year would you like us to show you what color your car is going to look like and at what time of day? And you're like, I want December 17th and I want it to be 4 p.m. And they will change the lighting in that room to December 17th at your location at 4 p.m. And you can see the color of your car and what it's going to look like at that exact day and time. Clothing works much the same way. And that's where that comes from. When you wear muted colors based on where the sun is pointing, it looks better. But when you wear muted colors in the summer, the sun is much higher in the sky. You kind of look drab. Okay. It's also why I think they say you're not supposed to wear white. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's where that comes from. Um, but yeah, so muted colors are great. And I think it's a really fun way to practice with your wardrobe, even with your makeup. Um, lots of fun things that you can do. Although I think makeup's pretty universal and it's more about your face than necessarily your clothes. But if you like to match, then you should wear clothes that match whatever style you're going to go with on your face. If you're like me and you don't care, then it's whatever. You just wear whatever you want and you make it work. So... But yeah, as far as styles, um, obviously right now, because it's still cooler, pants are going to be very, very in. Leggings are still going to be very, very in. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think carrying leggings in from the winter into the spring is a perfectly wonderful thing to do to reuse a lot of your winter wardrobe in warmer, muted spring colors. So just wear thicker leggings when it gets colder and then maybe change. Um, I think it's still a bit too early for skirts. It's a bit too early for dresses. Not if you're too... wearing leggings. Well, yes, if you wear leggings <laughs> under those things, then absolutely. 
but I'm talking open skin. Oh, okay. So, um, and probably too early for shorts, unless it's something you're just sleeping in, and then who cares? So, but yeah, that's my segment as far as early spring fashion. Um, even this, this is kind of a muted orange. I like this. I love this color. This is one of my favorite colors for sure. It's this orange. Okay. <laughs> Am I making you nervous? No. You got nothing to put in this one? Nope. <laughs> That's not how I choose my wardrobe. Well, I know that. I'm more chaotic than that. Well, I'll explain your chaos. Maybe people like that way better. If I feel sad, I go shopping and I buy things that make me happy. <laughs> well, there's probably people out there that would love to do that that can't, so do you have tips? Credit cards. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't listen to Daphne. Oh my God. But <clears throat> She's like, oh, credit cards, and then you get the bill. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, don't do not do that. Unless you just got it like that. It's like, oh, yeah, I spend $20,000, $30,000 a month on my credit card. And at the end of the month, I just pay it off. Then by all means, do that. <laughs> so that's pretty much all I've got as far as that. Again, we'll open up for a couple of questions. Lord, good to see you on TikTok. Thank you for joining us. You're actually with us in our live broadcast of our podcast. So let's see here. Could go ahead and throw our sponsor on the screen. There you go. If you want internet, and I don't care where you are in the United States, if you want high-speed internet at a very reasonable price without any fees and all taxes included in the price, and you just happen to want ISP that's small business and women-owned and LGBTQIA plus-owned, well, then check out our sponsor. Rainbow Connection Broadband. They can get you in pretty wherever you are. And because it's a 5G LTE gigabit capable line, you can take it with you anywhere you go in the United States, anytime you want. So let's say you're traveling and you want to go stay at a CD hotel while you're traveling and you don't trust the free Wi-Fi. Well, bring your home internet with you and it can actually work pretty much everywhere you go. So that's it. Rainbow Connection Broadband. Their website is rcbroadband.net. Go out there, tell them that Jinx sent you, and I think they'll give you a 10% discount on your first six months of your bill. So let's see here. Let me go back to the chat. I'm going to turn the chat on the screen so you guys can see any new questions that come in while we've got this open. What are we looking at here? Um, well, other than some really fantastic comments, I like it. Thank you. Um, last segment of the day. Let's go ahead and bring that up real quick is our open Q&A and things I wish I knew before transitioning. So this is a relatively new segment, but I like it because I learn something new about transitioning pretty much every day. And I think every transgender person out there and their spouses, the people who love them, learn a lot of these things too. So I would say probably the number one thing so far that I've learned after transitioning that I wish I knew before transitioning would be progesterone. So I knew that there were some people who reissued progesterone, absolutely, 
when they transitioned and some people were not. I knew it was a critical part of female hormones. I mean, I learned that when I was in high school. Um, I also know that it's more prevalent um, in women who were either pregnant or about to give birth and probably for about six months after the pregnancy is over, progesterone levels tend to spike. So I knew it was important. What I did not know, and no one had informed me until about four or five months into my transition, is that the recommended application of progesterone is rectally, not orally. So yes, although you are allowed to take this as a pill and you can take it, it's actually not the most recommended way. You're supposed to take the progesterone pill and shove it up your butt. That is not a pleasant experience by any stretch of the definition. Um, not that I have a problem with that particular area of my body. It is not fun sticking my finger up <laughs> with a stupid little suppository stuck to it. It's because of your fingernails. Yes. That, probably. That does not help. <laughs> Just guessing. <laughs> this is like, ah! I bet you could buy an applicator. Yep, I need to buy an applicator. <laughs> Get yourself some help. It's like a lot of hand washing. I'm like, ah. But yes, so I noticed that before taking it the proper way, um, and I was taking it orally, my understanding is that the pill itself and whatever progesterone hormone, the micronized hormones that are in there, um, are about 75% of them are destroyed by your stomach acid, and it never actually gets into your system. So... It's like kind of a bummer. And I didn't really notice any major growth. I didn't notice a lot of changes to my face. I definitely did not notice um, changes to my body. And I had hardly noticed any, any changes in breast growth, which was very depressing. On average, most women who are on progesterone um, usually see breast growth around three months to four months and then significant shapeliness by the six months in. I didn't see squat. I was like, well, this is kind of a bummer. But I also thought maybe it had mostly to do with genetics. Um, you know, my sisters are not very well endowed in their chest. My mom isn't either. So I was like, okay, well, I won't be either. Um, once I made the change and started doing it the proper way, yeah, they kind of came all at once. I was like, oh, shit, there they are. Um, so, yes, it makes a very big difference. So for my trans femme siblings that are out there who were transitioning to be more feminine, yeah. I'm afraid you're going to have to break down and do it or wait longer is where it pretty much boils down to. So um, the second thing, probably the second thing that's on the top of my list um, that I wish someone would have told me before I started transitioning is morning sickness. So being on this much estrogen pretty constantly and the progesterone as well pretty constantly as well as removing any testosterone from my body, as basically being in super hyper-pregnant mode all the damn time. So yes, I have lactated and quite weirdly, as I was like, um, And yeah, every once in a while, I wake up in the morning and be sick as a dog. And it's just like, oh, oh, what the hell? And it will eventually go away um, as the progesterone dissipates from the night before. But yeah, it's, it's quite terrible. <laughs> I was like, someone should have warned me about this. <laughs> and of course, nobody does. So this is your warning. This is me telling you before you start the transition. If you're in that weird egg girl 
phase. Um, yeah, prepare for that. It's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. Um, I'm actually moving over to Daphne. I'm sure there's things that you wish you would have known before I started transitioning that you figured mm -hmm. out after. Um, I wish I had done beforehand. Mm -hmm. Maybe how many pickles were required. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money on pickles. It's a lot of pickles. It's not an inside joke so much anymore. Then I made a couple of videos, about it, but I don't know what the fuck it is. It's just pickle cravings constantly. That's pretty sad, you know. <laughs> you spend that much money on two jars of pickles, basically once a week. I also didn't realize um, the flood of emotions either. Like, I wasn't expecting that. See, I was told about that. Like, I was told, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be emotional. Maybe not so much, like, as much as I've seen. But, yeah, definitely a lot of emotions. And, oh, my God, the crying. So much crying. Um, but, yeah. Anything else? Uh, there's probably other things I can't think of at the moment. Okay. But. Yeah, um, we're getting several comments um, on the other platforms, not TikTok. Um, talking about, you know, it's the vinegar. It's definitely the vinegar. The vinegar helps. And oh my goodness. So I think that's why I, I've always kind of liked the pickles anyway. So <laughs> the line is right about the gas. <laughs> I just love the smell of gas. Yeah. See, the smell of gas is only appealing to me at night, but the rest of the day, I'm like, oh, it's awful, because that's when all the hormones are racing. Um, it's usually at night, like at night when I take it, you know, I'm taking my T-blockers, I'm taking the progesterone, uh, I'm taking my vitamins usually at night before I go to sleep, about an hour before I go to bed. So yeah, like if I go after running to the store real quick and I smell gas, it's like, it's almost a mild turn on, but not completely. But yeah, any other time if I go out during the day, fill the car up with gas or something like that, it's it's like I get sick from the smell of gasoline. So um, it's really weird. Like really weird. So that pretty much ends that segment. So there you go, folks. These are things that I wish I knew before I started my transition. Um, and then obviously things that Daphne wish she knew before I started my transition. Um, we'll try to revisit this at least once a week. Like, here's some more shit we found out about what we wish, you know, we would have known before we got there's a, there's a lot, I promise. There's a ton. Sorry, needed to hydrate. Mouth gets dry. I sound like shit. So we'll go into the open Q&A. We got about 10 minutes that we can go and answer all of our viewers' questions. So as you can see on the side of the video, right there, here you go, ending segment. You can see people's comments. You can see people's questions. Please do not hesitate to ask questions. Uh, let's see, Skitty Kitty. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. I actually got this one fixed. I was like, oh, yeah, it's like three bucks. They fixed my nail, and then I broke that one. I'm like, son of a bitch. I can't win for losing, but thank you. Aw, thank you, Delina. So Delina said she loves to see us together. This is my life partner, my wife, my co-host, 
when she's available. Now she works just like we all have to work. So sometimes you'll see her back there, little screen right there, <laughs> working. Um, or she'll leave the room and she'll go work while I'm doing my show because she's got meetings where she's on the phone. Yep. So and we don't want to disturb her while she's working. But when she has the availability, Daphne is definitely going to be here to do co-hosting with me and kind of bounce ideas and just discuss things. Um, I think next episode, which will be next Monday, we're going to bring her in to talk about some of the stuff she's been researching as far as, you know, sexual identity, sexual ability, everything about the self. Um, she's got so much information and it's so amazing to hear her talk about it because <laughs> you can see the passion in her eyes. She's very interested in discussing these things and I want to give her the opportunity to do that. So I think Monday will be an episode where it's going to be very Daphne heavy and a lot less jinx. Oh, so, well, thanks for the warning. That's your only warning. <laughs> you got all weekend to prepare. Okay. And then for Wednesday's episode, you guys are going to get to meet Mama Jinx, at least for a little while, because Mama Jinx will be here. So. Actually, what? Never mind. Yeah, be Tuesday I could pick her up. No, you pick her up on Wednesday. Do I pick her up on Wednesday? Or are you the sure? invite you sent me. <gasps> oh, I guess it'll be next Friday. Sorry, folks. Next Friday you get to meet Mama Jinx, because I doubt I'm going to be able to do the show and get my mom at the same time. So. Yeah, actually at 11.30, you're supposed to leave to go pick her up next Wednesday. Outstanding. So my apologies, <laughs> there will not be a show next Wednesday. I'll be driving to Austin to go pick up my mother. So, yay. Um, and that's pretty much it. So any other questions? We got some stuff here. Yep, TikTok has no questions. TikTok's a dead platform. It really is. Um, once you get shadow banned for being queer, like your, your career on TikTok is pretty much over, unless you buy viewers. Um, and I'm not going to go buy my viewers. I'm just not going to do it. Either you like what I have to say and you come find me on my website or you don't and you don't. So there's that. Um, other than that, see any remaining questions popping up. I don't see any. Let's see here. Aw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your poor mom be like, hey, what gives? <laughs> I'd be, I'd be poor me because I'd be down there on Tuesday like, oh, that's true. my mom. That's true. That's true. And it's like, she's not here stupid. She's coming tomorrow. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Uh, oh, that's a very interesting question. Delina asked, how far does a nuclear bomb penetrate the ground? So here's the, the, the kicker on that question. And it's a little odd. So it's going to depend on the weapon systems. Nuclear devices do not detonate when they hit the ground. Nuclear devices usually detonate between 3,000 feet and one mile above the ground to maximize their devastation. So on average, although it's never been seen outside of the atom bombs used um, in World War II, a nuclear device's design is to be launched either short distances or long distances. These are your intercontinental ballistic missiles. Um, and when they approach a target, whatever target that may be, whether it's a major city, um, a massive military installation, depending on what kind of devastation the person who launched the device intends to cause, more or less, 
it's going to be long. It's going to detonate about a thousand feet or more above the Earth's surface. This is more or less to cause that blast to destroy as much stuff as possible. Now, if you're looking at small tactile nuclear strikes, these are the ones that, yes, they will hit the ground or they detonate at ground level and have penetrating force. And that's going to depend on the weapon and who made it. So there's about, I want to say there's 10, 10 different weapon systems that are known as far as tactical small arms nuclear weapons used to devastate small areas. And I've seen anywhere from 10 to 50 feet of devastation into the ground. So it's going to vary. <clears throat> okay, Zena, thank you for letting me know. Um, Mike asked, I am incredibly intelligent. What is my profession? Um, thank you for the question, Mike. So, and thank you for the compliment. That's very sweet. Um, in the military, both cyber operator and aviation. So crewing aircraft, fixing and repairing aircraft. Um, and I've actually sat on two design teams for the upgrades and repair for future aircraft deployment for the United States Army. When I'm not doing that, I am a program portfolio manager by trade with an emphasis in cybersecurity. So I actually run my own consulting firm. Um, and I run an internet service provider as well. So definitely got my fingers on the pulse of all things technology. And because I'm a business owner is why I spend so much time making sure I understand global news. Because it impacts my ability to do business, which impacts my ability to support my family. Hi, Dallas. Thank you for joining us. You actually caught us on our live podcast. Um, so Delina asked, do I think that COVID could be or could have been released as a weapon? Yay or no? Um, sure. China, the United States, North Korea, South Korea, um, definitely Russia. We all have programs, usually run by our universities, specifically for designing novel viruses for weaponization or study. So... The United States does it under the guise of, well, if we create them first, then we'll know how to defeat them later. That's like the biggest line of bullshit I've ever heard. Um, these are biological weapons by trade. Now, do we release them? Of course not. Of course not. That'd be awful. Um, but could COVID have been one of those? University paid for and trained, taxpayer funded, biological weapons created in a lab that accidentally escaped? Accidentally escaped? Sure, that's always a possibility. Just saying. I mean, as far as uh, the current rounds of COVID and all of its variants, I mean, the variants could very well be just natural biological evolution of the virus. That's very common in viruses. I don't see why any of the, the alpha, the beta, the deltas, the omicron, whatever. Sure, nature does do that. Um, but the original virus itself, several reports came out, and I don't know the validity of the sources for those reports because um, I didn't do enough investigating because I didn't care. Um, 
have stated that the virus itself looks to be genetically manufactured. As in, this is not a natural virus. This is not a natural occurring virus. This is a novel coronavirus, but so much so that it looks like it was designed. So, but yeah, that's kind of how that works. Like I said, it's not just China. We do that shit here too. Was it, um, there's four major medical universities in the United States where these designer biological virus labs are currently running. Um, Johns Hopkins has one. So, so yeah, there's people who are cooperating. They've read that as well. Um, these are not uncommon things. Countries have been making biological weapons for study. Um, I want to say since the 1940s, at least. Um, hell, I want to say the United States even tried weaponizing polio at once. So, and Russia tried weaponizing smallpox. Let's see, any other questions? We've got about six minutes left. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Delina. Well, I mean, smallpox, smallpox is one of those viruses that we've had under control for quite some time. But why do we still have it then? Why is the military forces between three of the largest countries in the world still vaccinate their soldiers against it? Well, it's because of what happened. There were several countries, Russia being the primary one, that actually successfully tried weaponizing that virus and thankfully never used it. So that shit's out there. It's definitely out there. Uh, Mike said, thank you for your service. Thank you so much, Mike. That's, I appreciate that. And thank you for your support. So if you're walking into our live late and you're late in this, you're hitting the Q&A, this is the very, very end portion of our show. Please go back and watch. This stuff will be available long after the live is over on YouTube. It'll be available on Twitch, I think, for 30 days. Um, Facebook forever. Well, obviously YouTube forever. Um, and Twitter, our Twitter account as well. Um, please visit our website. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up here on the bottom of our screen. If I'm not... Yeah, pushing the wrong button. So check out our website. The website is cyberjinx.me. You go in there, you can follow all of our social media profiles. You can check out our blog. Obviously, you'll see all of our podcast videos that you can watch, video on demand, whatever you like. So all that's readily available for you. And lots of other information, plus our contact info. And if you would ever like to book me for an engagement, you can book me for engagement on that website as well. Um, other than that, that's kind of all the information I got. I'll probably throw one more spin out there for our sponsors. Our sponsors are Rainbow Connection Broadband. As far as I know, the only woman-owned, disabled, veteran-owned, and LGBTQIA plus-owned internet service provider in the United States. Small business certified. It's got less than 10 employees, um, and it provides internet service using 5G and LTE technology all over the United States. And it's internet you can take with you wherever you go. So check out their website. That's rcbroadband.net. Tell them you said hi. Tell them I said hi. Tell them Jinx sent you. And maybe they'll give you 10% off of your first six months of your bill. So 
Let's see here. I'm going to go put there you go. Last screen. We got a couple more questions in here. <clears throat> um, oh, geez. I can't, I can't speak to that, Delina. I'm sorry. Um, but that's pretty much it. See? It's oh. the same as you showing up here. Yeah, your logo's just in the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, that's it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Trans Confessions. I hope you guys learned a lot. And remember, you can always send me your questions to our website. If you go to the website, cyberjinx.me, and you go to the Hire Jinx page or the you know, Schedule Jinx page, our email address and our phone number is right on that page. You can call that number and you can leave us a voicemail. We will call you back. You can send us an email. I promise you, we will respond. If you want your question hosted or actually shown on the next show, please let us know. If you don't want your question talked about on the next show we do, please say that too. We like an, we like anonymity just as much as anybody else. So check us out. Send us a line. Say hello. Until next time, folks, y'all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. <laughs>